Hi, my name is Dave Brown. I am the Senior Associate for School-Based Training and Behavior Health Equities at the Central East Mental Health Technology Transfer Center. Welcome to our podcast series, Saving Young Black Lives, Reversing Suicide Trends. We are pleased to join our colleagues at the NYU McSilver Institute for Poverty, Policy, and Research in presenting this series. In 2018, suicide became the second leading cause of death in Black children aged 10 to 14, and the third leading cause of death in Black adolescents aged 15 to 19. According to the 2021 Health Disparities Report, four of the five Central East states located in the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Region 3 rank among the top 25 states based on rates of teen death by suicide. Furthermore, researchers have found that Black children are more likely to die by suicide than their white peers. This podcast series explores the crisis of Black youth suicide. Survivors, family members, researchers, and behavior health professionals discuss their experiences, research, policies, and practices, and offer recommendations to address this issue. We invite the behavioral health workforce in Central East Region 3 to consider incorporating applicable information from these podcasts into their clinical practice. This project is supported by the Substance Abuse Mental Health Services Administration, SAMHSA, an agency of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, as part of grant funding awarded to the Central East Mental Health Technology Transfer Center. The views, opinions, and content of these podcasts are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views, opinions, or policies of SAMHSA. Nothing in these podcasts constitutes a direct or indirect endorsement by SAMHSA. These podcasts were made available through funding provided by the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. The views expressed are those of the hosts and guests and do not necessarily represent the official views of nor an endorsement by the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, or the U.S. government. Please visit our website at www.mhttcnetwork.org for more information. Welcome to this episode of Saving Young Black Lives. I'm your host, Michael Lindsay, Executive Director of the NYU McSilver Institute. We're glad to have you with us, but please be advised that this podcast series includes descriptions of suicide, suicidal behavior, self-harm behavior, violence, bullying, and other traumatic experiences. We're doing this podcast because we are at a ring alarm moment in our nation with regard to the mental health of black children and teens. Of course, no discussion about the crisis would be complete without talking to a parent who has lost a child to suicide. This is the first of two episodes over which we'll hear from Tammy Charles, a mental health advocate based in Louisville, Kentucky, and the mother of the late Seven Bridges, a precious 10-year-old boy who died by suicide in January of 2019. This episode includes powerful descriptions of the events preceding Seven's death from Mrs. Charles' vantage point. We should note here that we did not interview any other parties in relation to those events, and others may describe the same events differently. 
Listeners interested in knowing more should refer to news media coverage in the months prior to Seven's death and the years following it. And conclusions should not be drawn by listeners without hearing the voices of all those involved. Instead, our purpose in presenting this story is to shed light on what a parent goes through when losing a child to suicide. But first, a few statistics. The suicide rate in children younger than 13 is roughly two times higher for Black children compared with white children. In fact, research led by Jeff Bridge and colleagues at Ohio State found that children between the ages of 5 and 12, Black children, had a much higher incidence of suicide than white children in the U.S. during the period of 2001 until 2015. And in McSilver-led research published in the journal Pediatrics, we found that suicide attempts rose in Black adolescents between 1991 and 2017, while falling or staying level in other groups. Here with me today is a very special guest who is ringing the alarm herself and whose story gets at the heart of why it's so important to recognize the signs of suicidal behavior in our children and teens. We're blessed to have Tammy Charles with us here today. She's a mental health advocate based in Louisville, Kentucky, and the mother of the late Seven Bridges, a precious 10-year-old boy who died by suicide in January 2019. Tammy, welcome to the show. First off, I'm sorry for your loss. Please tell us about your beautiful son, Seven. What was he like? Dr. Lindsay, first of all, I really thank you for having me as your guest. Um, as always, we're always looking for another link in a chain that we did not know how much it needed the link or that the chain even existed. And uh, I'm so happy to be here today. And it has been about 29 months since uh, Seven went to heaven. And I'm still here. Uh, I want to give that, that, you know, I'm still here and that, yeah. uh, you know, tomorrow's keep happenings and yesterday's keep mm -hmm. happening. Um, often I will tell you that I never, ever really know about today, but tomorrow's I look forward to and yesterday's I'm surprised I surpassed. Yeah. And that is solely because I was the late mother at 35 years old of a most amazing dude, Seven Charles Thomas Bridges. And he was my miracle child because in my, our Black community, a lot of our women suffer from polycystic ovary syndrome. So at the age of 18, when I entered into the United States Navy, they told me right off that I would never have children. Oh, my God. Wow. Yeah. Well, you know, at 18, I was like, hey, that's a get-out-of-the-jail-free card. But as time went on, I began to feel that biological clock ticking and felt the sways of, man, that will never happen to me. And Jack LaLanne, God rest his soul, I bought one of those machines and just, you know, not, with nothing to do, stuffing it in front of my husband and myself. And before long, I went to the VA and I told them that I had the swine flu. 
And they told me like, no, you don't have the swine flu, but in nine months, you'll really <laughs> have something to do. I knew then that it was a miracle. Yeah. I knew then that I wasn't even supposed to have this chance. And from the day that I found that I was pregnant until the day I funeralized my son, I made it the best time in both of our lives. I never squandered one minute with that guy. And I'm so grateful that I did. Um, it is exciting to talk about him and in such a way where, uh, Mike, uh, unlike other parents of, other bereaved parents or parents uh, of children who have completed suicide, um, they, they stick with some stigma of guilt or some, some area of what it could have should have, or we didn't get time to do this or that. I have none of that. And that is something that I give praise for um, because I did every single thing in every single way above and beyond broke generational curses to make this life for this person who wasn't supposed to even be here a life that he will never forget, a child. He was a 10-year-old child. And in 2019, that's saying a lot. Yeah. It's saying a lot. He was an amazing child, a very exposed kid, an extremely compassionate guy. He was born with a birth defect, so he had special needs his life. And, and when they told us in, in two minutes after they were saying, me hearing for the first time, it's a boy. They told me that there would be a problem. My son was born with special needs and it was like, I don't care, just give me that. Just give it to me mm. and uh, that's mine. And uh, I have never been more proud to say that I was his mom. I am his mother. Um, very polite child, mannerable, um, well-rounded, well-traveled honor roll student and that I didn't care about the honor roll. I was like, hey, I fixed everything else. If you guys don't fix this in school, then everything else is there. But he was an honor roll student on his own drive. Um, I knew that was my only kid. And just like most moms, especially with a son, he could have lived here his whole life. The only thing I almost planned to shave his head and put him under the flag and he'd become a veteran. But if that didn't fall out, I'll make sure that this dude really doesn't have anything to do. My plan was to spoil a very, make, make this little dude a privileged little boy into a privileged man. Seven sounds like just a, a really great young person that um, we And all, everybody would say that. We all know. Everyone would say that thing. Or would want to know. Um, what was going on with Seven through the weeks leading up to his passing? I can tell you in the one week before he died, because we did everything all the time. Mm -hmm. I can tell you in the one week before he died is that Monday he went to school. No, Friday somebody bullied him. I called the principal. Uh, well, she just kind of had some, some remarks. And I called the principal. She called the little girl's mom. And apparently the little girl got in trouble. So, of course, when she comes to school, she wants to alienate other children from him mm -hmm. and, you know, kids. And so she pretty much succeeded. Like, hey, don't talk to him, about, you know, because whatever she was doing, he came right home and told me her. And then he said to me, 
well, she does that in front of my other friends and, and she makes it where I can't be by them and make them laugh. That was Monday. Tuesday, for the first time in his entire school time, he said, mommy, can I stay home from school today? And I'm a real cool mom. I mean, like, I'm the mom that I went to lunch with him once a week, average his entire school life. And, and I said, why? And he's like, well, you know, she was doing that. So I just don't want to deal with it today. I was just fine. I took him to the orthodontist. I'm like, hey, we've got doctor's appointments we can do, sure. And I'm self-employed. So he hung out with me and that. So Wednesday comes, we found out our, his only doctor, you know, main consistent doctor was a chiropractor. We did a lot of whole, mostly holistic stuff because of course he was born with birth defects. So we had to do MD stuff, but everything else was pretty holistic in his chiropractor at stage four cancer. And we found out, I found out on the phone Wednesday morning as I had, I drove him to school. I rarely do. I drove him to school so I, he could eat his pancakes a little sore because you know, orthodontist stuff. And I had the phone on speaker and he heard the secretary say it and the dude was crushed. And so we walk into the school and just for me to tell them, hey, you know, he's not feeling well about this. And so his counselor's like, well, I think he can put on a happy face and go. Well, of course, I teach my son. I know his emotions. And he's heard about this guy. Mm. He's been, he had been going to, I have taken my son to the chiropractor and he was his doctor since he was 14 days old. I highly believe in chiropractic care. Um, so in that, I bring him home and, you know, we go through the motions. Then Thursday comes. Thursday, he tells me about the little girl doing it and then him telling the teacher and the teacher pretty much I said well did you tell the teacher what question I always ask and he said I did I did I did and um he says he says uh um I'm sorry he says I told her and I said what'd she say it, because he was at me like mom I did I did tell her that was Thursday and then Friday he comes home and I can always and questions I ask him to find is like who'd you play with on the playground so he played with these kids, which I knew every child in this class. I knew that. But then he played with the one other kid that was kind of shunned, picked on, bullied. And he said, I played with Trevor today. And I kind of waited until he got his clothes off and, you know, for him to come to me. So I knew that day something was up. Uh, and, and I later let him tell me. And he did. And it was that day that my 10-year-old son found himself with no place to go in his 10-year-old mind. Um, and we can get into that story a little later. But I, his, his, everything was great. Seven was the absolute kid, the anomaly of you would never would have suspected him to ever have from his high happiness, even a big dip would never, he would never be the one you would put him in line to say, oh, he would dip to a place of suicide, a word we had never used in our home that before that day. Wow, wow. So, so, so essentially, let me just unpack this a bit because sure. you shared so much, so much. Um, there's the bullying, there is the passing of his chiropractor who had stage four. He hadn't passed yet, but we found that because we kept calling trying to get there. And we found that, of course, his chiropractor, being a chiropractor, he was going with that holistic old juice thing in New Mexico. And I was like, where's this dude? And we had just seen him two weeks prior. So it was swift. And I see. I see. Yeah. 
I see. So the sudden illness then of the chiropractor, um, I want I want to I want to get a sense of the bullying in terms of what type of bullying was it. But when I tell you this, it will it will probably promote some anger feelings, and and I just want to say that to you. But I want to also say. I'm telling you this so you can start with and end with peace and forgiveness um, is where I am. So when the bullying started, when my son got choked on the bus in August, it was an issue where um, he got choked. They told the assistant principal and the assistant principal let it drop. He didn't even say anything. He he gets called the N-word. I address it. We address it. The, and then the, his friend next to him on the bus is like, hey, don't say that to him. Really took up for him. Seven was like, hey, you know, my mom taught me it's not what they call you, it's what you answer to. And so he was, wasn't offended or anything. Was but a friend, friend was a, who took up for him white? white friend, yeah, it. the white friend is, wait for it. White friend, to, he's mad. He's piping hot. And that was on a Friday. Seven gets on the bus. And so this dude decides to bring it up on Monday. What happened on Friday? He said, Seven, you should go over there and smack her for what she said to you on Friday. And Seven was like, that was Friday. I don't hit girls. And I didn't care about that. So because Seven was raised nonchalant, the friend choked Seven. Choking the dog out of my baby to the point where the kids on the bus, he told me that as he was lowering he could hear the kids saying he's choking him he's choking him this dude on the bus so the bus driver gets off stops the bus he says whatever he didn't do everything he could have done but he did what and just to say so much that my son is still sitting in the same seat with the dude who choked him yeah so as it went on they kind of tried to sweep it under the rug but me who being who i am they've never had a person especially such an involved black mother in a predominantly white community from in nine years i was on the pta i did everything this boy went to everything they couldn't have a dress down day a popcorn day an extra water day that my and we did not contribute we even did the box tops tell me i wasn't at that school all the time and never missed the pta in 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 this nine years he went to school well i made it where i you know i'm military so i did a grievance i went to the, to the, the board, I took my baby to the hospital. I uh, went to the police. So now, and again, I live in Louisville, Kentucky. Yeah. Now, here I am. The good old boy assistant was like, hold on. I had to go all the way up. I went to the Louisville Urban League, the 100 Black Men. I went to my all Black church. I went to the diversity and inclusion and you know that part of it. I called every chain up and, and, and I did the work. I also went to the VA and had counseling immediately, you know, just the week after he worked. It worked on me. And he kept saying, well, I can't tell you what we did to the perpetrator. I just want to know what you do for the victim. Because he came to my side of the bed, Doc, and asked me, and he said, Mommy, after the little boy choked him, I thought he was my friend. When this one little boy choked him, when he got off the bus, he came running to his dad. He said, Daddy... This little boy choked me on the bus, but don't be mad because I think he had a mental problem. That's how we grounded our child. Wow. We didn't just flare up. You don't just fight for the sake of fighting. Yeah. So 
after we did that, it was a, a review. And then I went to the news. See, what they didn't know is all my connections being in the business that I am, that I have a lot of connections. I sell oil sheens to hairdressers. So any hairdresser you know, know everybody in the world. And from that, I was able to get it on by, I, I went there Wednesday and by Friday, I was able to get it on news. After I did the administrative thing, not only the students were fine, the teachers began to shun my baby. Mm. The principal stopped talking to my son. The mm. assistant principal stopped talking to my son. The teachers scrutinized him. He could like trip over his shoes. What would your mom think if you tripped over school? Your mom, why don't you do this with blah, 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 your mom. And he's just like, where does this go? Because of course, I didn't talk about this in my house in front of my child. They were singling him out. Never, ever loved the boy. But now that their school was announced, and they're getting, of course, calls from, I'm sure they're outside people. And I made a Facebook. I made a Facebook, and, mm -hmm. and I did. And then I said, when it's your turn, do it in love and do it in peace. Now, the comments underneath were ridiculous. Oh, man, I would have did this and I did that. I never did that. The school was afraid or on some sort of, high alert, like that would be us. Backtracking to my son's last day, he told me that the little girl was doing it again. He goes in and as he's instructed, tell your teacher, he tells the teacher and she says, well, the principal already called her mom. Um, what do you want me to do about it? And he says, well, you know, tell her to stop. So she says to him, if your mom can't stop her, the principal can't stop her, her mom can't say, what do you want me to do? Just go back and tell your mom. At that point, my baby told me he pretty much felt helpless. And in his 10-year-old mind, my mom and dad are doing everything they can. She tells me to come over here because, of course, I am in the environment. I can pick his lunch teacher out in the lineup. And you can ask any other parent, and I bet you... 10 out of 10 of them cannot. And I made him feel like these are the adults that will protect you. And these adults turned on him. So when the girl was teasing him and he was just in the house and she said to him, because nobody likes a tattletale, right. from advocating from his bullying, they should have been echoing me. But instead, they turned that thing into my baby being a tattletale. And where could he go, Doc? Right, right. If your mom can't, parents can't help you who love you. Mm. And these adults who you turn to are supposed to protect you. And they said they won't do it. And they can't do it. Because what you're doing on a positive thing is a negative thing to everybody else. Do you think that the school did not, and educators, parents, did not know about the effects of bullying on the mental health of children? And how do you think that might have helped the situation? Mike, uh, I'm 48 years old. Mm -hmm. And... <laughs> When Adam and Eve first had the kids, and the big brother bullied the little brother. It's been around, Mike. It's been around. Hmm. 
And it's not that they're not aware, but somewhere along the way, the survivors of bullying marked it as some rite of passage. Mm. And some bully adapted it as part of how they have to live. Now, the mental health portion for children, I went to a seminar thereafter, and something that I had no guilt and I have no stigma of guilt, but something just a little, you know, pinning in my mind helped me off the hook when this doctor says a 10-year-old, children that are between 9 and 11 and a 10-year-old specifically, they have this thing called impulsivity. So they can think, man, I just want to kill myself, and they do it. And they don't have this buffer. It is not um, built enough, this buffer of this muscle to be like, okay, that's a thought, but, you know, we really don't have to do that. You know, it can be fleeting. And that helped me with my 10-year-old child. Because surely it was since he was 18 months. He has three stairs in front of our house, and he has been eyeing. I'm going to jump off of those three stairs. He's been as soon as he can get, and I've seen that boy think he can jump, and I've almost broke my leg trying to catch the boy from the three stairs. He had it in his mind, he went for it. The mental health impact from Seven's perspective can be put like this. Mm-hmm. My son died January 19th. School's been in five months. When the superintendent finally called me with his scripted condolence Mm. after five days. He told me that Seven was the eighth child to have completed suicide in the school system. Are you sick? The eighth hadn't heard nothing. That should have been on everybody's news and in the newsletter, in a, hey, tell your kid about this. Eight one is too many. Yeah. Alarming. A child. As young as seven? He said it was from high school down. Seven was the youngest. Here's the deal. Mm. The mental health wasn't about the children being bullied. The mental health lapse, I feel, is about the importance of the adults who had that aforementioned thinking where you made it, bullies exist, and that kid will be fine, or he was bullied when he was little. Those, that lapse is there that they have to realign to help free, to help the victims of bullying and free the bullies. Yeah. We need to free the slave and the slave master. Mm. There, there are there were two penalty boxes there. Mm. And both of them need to be freed. And I say that with such conviction because all over the world, and still now, I have had people who were victim of bullies call me crying to say, I'm sorry your son died from bullying. I was bullied. And they cry. I'm talking about all over the world. Accents. They got a little translator, a little line, people that were deaf. Calling my phone. Those are just the ones I answered. And as to be expected, people are like, we're akin to stuff. But the ones that surprised me, Doc, 
the ones that I think that your community and you really need to make sure you add this in your research. Mm -hmm. My husband is a he's a he's a man's man. He's he's he work on cars. He drink with the fellas. He watch sports sorta, but he's a musician. And when I say he's a musician, that I'm his girlfriend. That that music, that's his wife. Uh, I know my place. And to find his friends coming to my house, these big men, older men, younger men, broken, mm. boo crying, where I gotta pick them up off my floor like a wet dish rag. Crying and broken. And then they will call me back because they didn't want to do it in front of me because, okay, they already slipped enough of their manhood. And call me back and say to me, Tammy, I'm sorry about Seven's death. But I feel guilty about it too. And so, you know, just trying to process, I thought like maybe there's like not saying something and that came later. But these men, women too, will call me and say, I feel like my bully energy when I was a bully or somebody told me to hit this person, I really want to do it, but I, I did it as a, as a, I don't know, adjunct bully. That my bully energy and the fact that I perpetuated and didn't stop with me killed your son. Listeners, there's so much more to hear of Seven's story and about how Tammy Charles is carrying on her efforts to spread awareness in his name about bullying and child mental health. Please hear the rest of her story in the next episode of Saving Young Black Lives, Reversing Suicide Trends. When I came back home at 11, um, going to grocery store, dropping my husband out, 11, about 10.45, I'm banging on the door, you've had this, I'm banging on the door, come get these groceries out of the car. Banging, 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 banging. No answer. I thought maybe he went back to sleep. So I moved this thing from my front of our house just to bang on his window here. Bang, bang, bang. Boy, come get this door. Finally, I get the key. You know, go back in my car, get my key, come in here. And I'm looking for the boy. I'm coming in this room, nothing on the bed. Go in my room thinking nothing on the bed. Go down to the basement. Maybe he fell asleep on the couch down there. And then the, I realized that the door was locked. So, you know, where's this boy? Man, I looked right over here to my right. And he had a he had a way, he was such a jokester. He had a way that his entire life, when I would come home from work, he would hide behind the door, even tell his dad, don't tell mommy. And then of course his dad would give me the eye like he's back there. He would hide behind the door. And instinctively, knowing he did that all the time, I just kind of instinctively looked over like, is this boy hiding in the closet? Because at this point, if you're hiding in the closet, I've been banging on this door, you and I have, it's gonna be a misunderstanding. And I look over to find my 10-year-old son who had created a noose on his closet out of his belt he wore to school the day before. I'm Dave Brown with the Central East Mental Health Technology Transfer Center. On behalf of the Central East MHTTC, I would like to thank Dr. Michael Lindsay, Executive Director of the McSilver Institute, and our guest speaker. I would also like to thank a production team from Advocates for Human Potential. You've been listening to Saving Young Black Lives, Reversing Suicide Trends. 
Many thanks to our guests, as well as the Central East Mental Health Technology Transfer Center, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, the producers and other staff members who have had a part in producing this show. The production team includes Oscar Morgan, Michael Thompson, Tamara Moreland, David Brown, Joe Manny, Zach Stewart, Cheryl Huggins-Solomon, Miles Martin, and Crystal Francis. Learn more about the Central East MHTTC Network at mhttcnetwork.org. Learn more about the NYU McSilver Institute and our work relating to Black youth suicide at mcsilver.nyu.edu. Thank you for listening.